If it's not one thing, it's another I forget to do on this show, but oh well. Welcome to the Ryder Brothers. Tonight, we're going to start with a little bit of uh, some pop culture news. Probably something we might try to do every week just to cover the big stuff. Uh, Today, specifically, is for the Warhammer 40k fans, of which I'm kind of not. I've only played one game, and it just wasn't enough to hook me at the time. But, I do have a lot of respect for Henry Cavill. Uh, I've heard about all the drama that took place on the Witcher set, and how much he was dedicated to keeping the show to the lore and so that intrigues me and i definitely uh definitely am interested now in possibly diving into some warhammer so we brought our uh our resident warhammer expert mr cory own witch in residence and um why don't you go ahead and try to sell me on some warhammer all right so let's start a little bit with uh henry cavill's interest in this because that'll tell you why you need to see this to say that henry cavill is a warhammer fan would be a gross understatement okay uh i have played against guys who i am very good friends with who actually live in nottingham england where the game was initially created in this dude plays in tournaments there he puts on sunglasses he puts on a ball cap and tries to be a regular nerd to play in tournaments and routinely like all of us loses shakes the other dude's hand says hey man great game how the heck did you beat me sits down learns some new tactics and comes back the next time even stronger that's what how good this guy is now a little bit of the meta warhammer started as a tabletop game they were originally printing models for DD and went hey you know we could build our own tabletop game using these miniatures in like an army builder kind of style of game and they did. But then they started going, you know, we really need lore for this game. So they created a fantastic universe. I'm going to go through a little bit of the universe now, just to, to whet your appetite, just a little bit. It is the 41st millennium. And the universe is in a continuous state of war. All right. Humanity uh, expanded out into the stars. We had AIs serving our every whim we turned out to be a fairly decent species out there we were colonizing worlds if we had a problem we sent in our hordes of robotic servants uh, so 40,000 years yeah okay yeah you know we we uh you know we we solved our problems with these these robots and then the robots turned on us terminator style so now ai is banned by human use we don't trust it they're evil instead what we do is we take convicts we lobotomize them and use them as computers that's how metal this environment is already but wait it gets crazier it turns out that the only way to go from point a to point b faster than light for humanity anyway is to open a portal to a dimension that kind of borders on ours called the warp Now, before humanity and the Eldar, or the space elves, basically, got on the scene, the warp was this kind of chill place where not a lot happened. But you see, here's the trick. Humans and some other species have this psychic impression they leave on the warp. So all of our insecurities, all of our fears, all of our negative emotions build up and eventually coalesce into beings. 
These are these god entities of what they call chaos now. There is a being dedicated solely towards the, the fear of sickness and plagues and disease. A keeper of secrets. And a god of war. There, that was the three of them at the beginning. But then the elves, who had basically had the one of the very first empires out there, okay, after the, the original ones left, these guys started screwing around, literally. And didn't care about the, the, the ramifications of their actions, just basically slept with anyone they wanted, did all the drugs, killed people because it was fun, that sort of thing, and created a fourth one, the god of pleasure. So now there are four chaos gods, and they exist purely to wreck everybody's stuff. Because we wanted them to be that subconsciously. So there you have it. You have the Empire of Man, you have the Dominion of Chaos. Now, as this is going on, as everything is falling apart, one human being appears out of the sands of time, known as the Emperor of Mankind. He is a psychic power unlike the world has ever known. He unites humanity again by creating, first by taking over Earth, and then creating 13 genetically engineered sons that are basically humans. He's their own armies of gigantic space marines to take over, retake humanity's place in the cosmos. And then half of them fall to chaos and start worshipping the chaos gods and turn against their father. And in a climactic battle on the, the at Earth, the emperor is critically wounded after a long protracted war, and he then sits on this life support system to basically keep him alive and keep him running the capability for humanity to operate. Well, that was 10,000 years ago. The Emperor is still barely alive on this throne. He doesn't speak. No one's seen him in ages. All right. Humanity is facing a war for tr from traitors, from aliens. And because humanity started developing psychic powers, sometimes they get out of control. So there's so many humans now that there's mutants running around causing all kinds of problems. Humanity basically descended into a religious state where they worship the emperor as a god, and anyone who doesn't worship the emperor, they shoot. Sometimes twice, depending on how, depending on whether they particularly dislike something. It's got a, you know, so humanity's got this religion that's fanatically devoted to serving the emperor and killing anything that even remotely resembles something the emperor wouldn't like. You have the elves now that are a broken people. There are some that are good. There are some that are incredibly evil. And all of them are running around trying to reclaim their heritage. You have a species that makes the Zerg look kind of sad. That is designed purely to go out, consume all life on a planet, convert it into what they deem as biomass to fuel their species and carry on exterminating everything it can get its hands on. You have a race older than the space elves that are basically alien terminators that are running around. That fought a war against the Eldar's gods and basically didn't win. You have space orcs, which are literally just space orcs. There's no getting around it because they're just hilarious. 
and you have a couple of other smaller races running around, desperately trying to eke out uh, their own little empires in this horde of crazy madness. Now, the thing about this is, the Warhammer universe has a little bit of something for everybody. You want crazy, fanatical, religious debates? They've got it. You want homicidal alien? You've got it. You want crazy, weird, spiritual stuff that you could spend forever diving into? You've got it. Because of the way the warp works, just because you go in there on a Sunday and you're supposed to come out on a Monday doesn't mean you aren't going to come out three days before you left. In fact, there's a really awesome story where one of the big, one of the bigger orcs, like orc bosses, goes through the warp, inadvertently comes back a couple of weeks before he left, tracks himself down, kills himself, so he can get a second version of his favorite gun. That's how messed up some of the fun stuff you can get into in this is. You have all of this, and in it, it primarily boils down to humanity is faced with enemies on all sides, and it is not looking like it is going to win. So at the core of this, you have really dedicated humans doing everything they can to eke out a survival for their species, willing to go any way they can to survive. And if that means, you know, crushing a whole bunch of people under their boots so much, so, so much the better. Because really, at the end of the day, the only thing that humanity has in inexhaustible numbers is humans. Everything else can be, you know, everything else is precious at this point. Technology doesn't advance as much anymore, if at all. Space is uh, terrifying to transfer through. Um, if you guys have seen Event Horizon, that's the warp. So when you go traveling faster than light, there are basically demons all around the outside of the ship trying to get in there and eat the soft, chewy center that is the humans on board the ship. Right? You have alien-worshipping cults and just every kind of weirdness you can imagine. You have nuns armed with machine guns fighting aliens because they believe that their god wants them to. And if you haven't seen a nun running around with a machine gun my fr in power, in sexy power armor, man, you haven't lived. Uh, well, that's... I would have to think on that. Uh, John, why don't you go first? Since, uh, actually, before we get to that... Arende, hello, welcome. Arende writes in, Aren't the GW armies ridiculously overpriced? And they refuse 3D printed minis. Okay, I so don't know what he just said. Um, but then also, relentlessly, relentless writes in, Sup, Paka. Hey, sup, brother. Okay, so to answer Arende's question, Games Workshop has gotten very, very overpriced with their models. There is an absolutely huge debate out in the community right now whether 3D printing your own models is an okay solution to the overpricing problem. But I mean, at the end of the day, if people are paying the money for the models, GW will keep making the models at that price point. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. The only thing I can suggest is what my friends and I have done is we play what we're referring to as Fun Hammer. Where we build, you know, if we don't have a unit, we figure out a way to put it on the table in an inexpensive manner because we're not playing tournaments. We're playing against each other and we want to have fun. So that's what I recommend doing. All right. 
All right, John, what do you think? Are you... you guys didn't go with war fun, because <laughs> I think hammer is not the main element of this game. <laughs> I'm Fair super enough. hyped. I love, I love anything where they put so much effort into the lore. Like, that's my favorite thing. Um, because to me, like, that's where the, the future of, like, spinoffs come from. That's how you guarantee that, like, people can build off of what you built is you give them all the roadmap, like the blueprint in the lore to show this is like the tone of the time. So then every, like anyone who comes in, they can write their story and you can be like, oh, I don't think that would happen. And they go, no, check, look, I, I did this. And you're like, what? That's a part of the game too now? It's like, yeah, because it is a tabletop. Like there's a lot of yep. that reading and room for evolved thinking. Like, just in the last 30 years, uh, most people are more strategic than ever before in the history of the world because, like, we don't have to risk thinking about war and actually going. Instead, we get to play video games and we get to play, like, simulations with our friends and simulations with, like... Simulated indulgence is best indulgence. Well, not just simulated indulgence so much as simulated trial and error where rather than the well yeah that too it it can be used for anything the cost of error is death in this instance the simulated trial and error is like yeah you failed Um, that's all it costs alright Arende writes in I looked into the Warhammer universe a few years back too dark for my taste D&D at least has a balance of light and dark well that's um, I feel like that's what you gotta bring to the table then Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely... Well, here's what I would say. Here, here's what I would say. Arendi, I get where you're coming from, but take a look at the Tau Empire if you're looking for a little bit of a lighter story. They're one of the alien species trying to eke out their own survival, and their whole story is out of all the dark evil factions there, they are probably the brightest light for the hope of the future. Their whole piece is they try to do what they can for the greater good. So, they're talking not... about a slippery slope. Well, yes, they're they're basically space communists, but they're actually not like they're actually not terrible in terms of a, as factions go. Well, that's uh that's always good. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I I think I uh, well, I mean, my next thing after after I finally get my my work done and get the audio book for Galaxia re-recorded and out there is I'm going to have to uh, do Titanfall 2. Sorry, I was trying to remember. I got an early Christmas present from a friend of mine. Titanfall 2. Apparently the campaign's really good, so that's probably going to be hopefully my January project. And so after that, I guess I'll see what what's going on. Um, yeah, it's, some, there's better. a lot of definitely a lot to get into with that one certainly you know i thought kotor's lore was massive to to fall through but uh well games workshops black library which is their their lore line if you will has currently the same number of novels written as the star wars universe it's that deep lore so what i would recommend to most people if you're looking for a game that's lore thick but not overburdensome with the lore check out Warhammer 40k Space Marine 
It's a solid action game where you're more mostly running around murdering or space orcs in the most fantastic way possible. As, you know, one space marine, more or less, versus like a thousand orcs at a time. So All right. murder and mayhem with sci-fi weapons, that's the way to go. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely sounds like it's it's definitely sounds like it's up my alley. So I'm looking forward to to probably getting into that, and and we'll just watch the the show, uh, how it develops. And uh, yeah, I think that's I think that pretty much covers it. Unless you got any any last second things to add. Yeah, the the only other thing is um, if you're like John and you or Poyo Zapatos and you really like uh, like you're the lore dude. The book series you want to start with is the Horus Heresy. That's really where the universe's backstory is explained in decent detail, and it will give you the information on the most, the equivalent of the World War One of the Warhammer 40k universe. Mm. All right, all right. Well, with that, we had a new show to grace our uh, our Tulsa King viewing this weekend, and that was the Yellowstone prequel, 1923. Now, if you haven't seen Yellowstone, you're in luck, because neither have I. And if you haven't seen 1883 either, I also haven't caught up with that one yet. Yes, I'm a little behind, but you know what? I saw Harrison Ford. Uh, I saw a bunch of other names attached to this property that I was like, eh, 20, 1923, might as well go take a look. And I also come to find out that, uh, well, I may work at the place that shipped the tents. Um... Who wants to do the play-by-play for this one? First episode uh, overall was good, in my opinion, but man, did it have some moments. I'll leave it up to you, Corian. You guys guys are always better at that. I always, like, rush through it or skip over the most... But you could just read the IMDb dissertation. Like, we're not... It doesn't all have to be unscripted here. We're not total... Not a single one of us has a certificate of improvisation, so. But, uh... I'll pull it up. Alright, so John's gonna get the IMDb up, which, I mean, that's one thing we should probably just... We should just really start a pre-flight checklist for this show, now that we're, you know, finally getting ourselves, uh, noticed. But at the same time, yeah, I know we're also just real people. This is this is always. By the way, this is always going to be the Tuesday night live show. Like even if we're in the same room, it's still probably going to be just regular street clothes, jammies, whatever we feel like. Because this is supposed to be your hangout, not not you know. If you not elections for for all of the show, I have worn this shirt and then this combo for like three months now this has been my uniform yeah i won't show you guys my shorts but yeah definitely hoochie daddy shorts yeah anyway I, I, 1923 episode one season one opens jacob quashes a dispute between cattle ranchers and sheep herders kara informs liz of the sacrifices of marrying into the dutton family another dutton finds himself far from home so none of that very uh very spoiler free (laughs) yeah um and just like really heavily relying on what a dutton is like you have to be a yellowstone expert to know that that name matters and 
So let's start it the way it actually started. I, actually, actually, I'm gonna counterpoint. I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna counterpoint that real quick. Um, you you don't actually because once they establish that Harrison Ford is a Dutton, I think that pretty much sets the tone entirely. At least that's what I took from it. Like I so know I'm a little bit about this, Yellowstone, like if you but read this thing and you don't know what Dutton is and what a Dutton family member is. The synopsis is weak. All right, I hear you. Just. Just the fact that, like, they could have said being a cattle rancher's wife or marrying into a cattle ranching family, and instead they just said Dutton, like, you knew that that name is associated with cattle ranching. Which, again, fair, because that's where the majority of their audience is coming from, but IMDb, you aren't there for the audience, you're there for the perspective audience. Yeah. Well, okay, so we really have in my opinion, about three stories going on right at the beginning, right? You have the Duttons on the ranch, which it turns out, um, you know, locusts have gone through. The area is pretty, you know, sparse in terms of grassland. The cattle ranchers realize that they have to get to farther northern, up in the mountains terrain in order to make sure that the cattle have feed. The sheep farmers are are messing around with people to try to feed their sheep too. More or less, it's a mess between the a fight between the two of them, where the sheep farmers feel they should be allowed to go anywhere the heck they want, and the cattle farmers are saying, "Well, no, because if you do that, you're going to lawn mow all the food for our cattle. That's not going to happen." You have the second kind of plot line where you have one of the Duttons who, since this is post World War One. We see that he barely made it through World War One, and he's now running around in Africa as more or less a big game troubleshooter when lions and, and leopards and whatnot go after humans in, in camps in Africa. He's a paid hunter. Yeah, paid hunter. Like that's like that's not something that we have nowadays in most circles. But apparently it's still a thing. Yeah. Like there the especially like in Texas, a lot of hog farmers are just paid shooters. Yeah, uh, like I said, I, I like the idea of calling him a troubleshooter because there's trouble and he shoots it. Um, all right. Uh, joke. Yeah, well, there we Love go. Love it. Right? And then we have a third story, which I don't know how it relates in quite yet, where we have this what looks like Native American woman in a residential school dealing with the nuns and the it, priests. It's, it's confirmed the... that she is, I think, when, when they speak to each other in their oh, not okay. English. <laughs> okay, in their, I might in have their native tongue. Yeah. In that instance, and this is great, Corian, have you watched Yellowstone? No, I have not. Okay, so you're... Are you enthralled by all the stories off this first episode? Because I feel like you make a great character audience for this one. Um, the fact that you haven't you don't know the lore I don't really know Yellowstone either I'm pretty much in the same boat as Corion Um, so I'm going to say that look um, I'm going to I can already tell you this one's going to be a little bit of a struggle for me because westerns aren't usually my thing don't get me wrong I don't think all westerns are bad or anything it's just not for me right so uh, you know westerns for the month of February got it yeah right um but it's, uh, you know, but so far it's been intriguing. I'm curious to see where they're going with it. I don't necessarily know where they 
are yet, but the the residential school piece. Look, I know you guys haven't been following too much of what's been going on up here, but that's a really big right. scary deal as to what's going on up here with that. I'm, I'm very informed. Okay, yeah, and um, to add to it, guys, when I was a kid, I went to a Catholic grade school. I know exactly what those nuns are about. And that is roughly accurate as to every encounter I've ever had with a nun before. So, well, it's been a a little bit of a challenge for me to get through this episode. Not going to lie. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's a nice reminder as to why these people should never hold any real power ever again. So that's that's I am. And I do appreciate you sitting through and watching it. Um, I mean, I'm never I'm never going to make a fan or any panelist watch something like unless I can give you a damn good reason. Um, but yeah, at any, any time we need to pull the plug on anything, it's not, it's, it's not totally unreasonable. Um, but, but that's sad. to Taylor Sheridan in his writing. Yes. Yes. Why don't you go ahead and list? Yeah, go for it. Step. Uh, so due to complete, just the lack of reading the credits for anything, cause that's just not what I do. I came to watch, not to read. The, the, yeah, the Ryder uh, Brothers, we write and we watch. We do not read. Except for when Corey and Accessory, and then we audiobook. And, and, but I do bring up really good stuff for you guys. So oh, 100%. That. I just, I, dude, I'm Lixdexic AF. I oh, yeah. No, I, I definitely need fast. audiobooks, too. Yeah. But... Anyway, so I, I finally, like, started noticing that the name Taylor Sheridan was appearing on all of our shows today, because I watched them in a row, and I have realized that he's actually been writing a lot of fantastic screenplays, whether they're movies or uh, TV, and this is, like, like there's a lot of talk in the, in the corporate media and in the, in the regular world about like people not understanding the plight of their neighbors just because they aren't the same culture as their neighbors and after looking up taylor sheridan's imdb and finding out that he is exactly as white as i am this is a testament to how willing he was to learn about the suffering of the native american people and he 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 went into in Yellowstone he's like in the modern day perspective how the reservation versus the cattle ranchers versus the state works and now in 1923 instead of leaving the Native Americans out and just focusing on the the Dutton family he kept them and their story and, and, and their introduction into this new show is the most brutal mistreatment by a, a supposed loving authority figure, pair of loving authority figures, and and not just abuse in terms of like, how was the, like why did these young women hate this this older sister, but then also like how can the sister be this evil, and and we got all of it in their introduction, and and, and normally you would think that like with the sensibilities of modern people and or not people but but the assumed sensibilities of the modern culture this would not be like a written 
and this wouldn't be allowed to be written. And instead, like, he, this guy's been greenlit for everything. And he continues to show the dark side of the, like, real-world issues of a life that he understands, because apparently he's from Texas. So, like, <laughs> he, he's been... Well, I mean, he's freaking brilliant all around because oh, yeah. this just this show alone, one of the things that won me over were the just straight zingers in this episode and one-liners that we got right out of the gate. I mean, the the whole thing about the wedding. Well, if it was, you know, if it was about the man, we'd spit and shake on it and you'd bend me over the first thing you could. I looked over at H. Marie and I go, that's well, that's basically what we did. I mean, it was it was very he's cost effective. Be, he's not supposed to be kissing her till the marriage. Uh, in my experience, it's best not to count the uh, the calendar it's it's between not to when get... the baby's born and the yeah. yes. Oh my god, I lost my shit on that one. That was like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's best it's not. The, it's best not for to. The first time though, not the to be other good at math. Dad's reaction was exactly as you'd think. A mature, honorable adult would feel like, oh yeah, that's... yeah. And I, I mean, like he, that thought. He... like that's all he could do with it. He didn't like get any gruff about it. Didn't go fight anybody. He's just like, ah, oh, thanks for making me think about that. Well, but I mean, like at the same he remembers time... when his daughter was born. Yeah, well, like I I'm willing to bet at the same time he's also remembering like his honeymoon phase, shall we say, and is going, yeah, yeah, I don't like it, but yeah, you know. And, you know, these, these are the so, like, like, real genuine conversations, and that's one of the things I love about this show so far. Yeah, he, and, and he, the way he, like... Yeah, I, well, I, hold I, on, hold on, I think I, think I remember the line. Honor. I think I remember the line. It was like, it was like, yeah, look, when the first grandchild comes along, it's best not to be, not to try to be good at math or something. Yeah, not to be <laughs> yeah. good at math or have a calendar Or have nearby. a calendar nearby, that's right, yes. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> But I love the other dad's, like, face, it, and not that uh, Harrison Ford character's dad, because he's an uncle, he's an adopted dad. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the other dad, his face was just like, ah, I thought that thought, and I didn't want to have that. Yeah. But instead of, like, taking it to the, like, childish degree, like, he, he knows this kid, and he knows, like, who he's talking to, so, like, and, and I love that they, they captured that. He's just like... Yeah. <laughs> and just grunts it away. Yeah, well, at the same time, is... yeah, and at the same time too, you can also sit there imagining that, that what's also running through his head is, yeah, yeah, that was my par- that was my experience too, right? Like, right. Well, know? that's what I mean is like he just combined his happiest moments, right? The times yeah. when he got married and conceived his daughter, and now his daughter's doing that with another boy, and he just had that thought of his daughter doing that. He's like, ah. <laughs> and it's like that's what I mean by not getting mad is he was forced to think about it in the gross way because of the conversation that he started <laughs> and he's still just instead of being a butthead which is normally what we get especially from like old westerns they're like men couldn't at all keep their temper and it's like no most of them did that's why we're still alive oh oh Otherwise, dude they would have all killed each other i, I was gonna wait to way. bring this up but i think i definitely think whether we do it next month or february we should watch the the kevin costner wyatt Earp. because i mean it's basically the anti-western western in a lot of ways um and it's one of my favorites too so 
uh i'd give that one a shot i my thing though is it is a it's a shout out or it's a testament to taylor in his writing that this show almost matches yellowstone in pacing in tone in experience all it is is olden times and that to me is like all i asked in my head as we were going into this because i i too cannot stand like i, I honestly just can't stand pre-cars I love cars, and and Yellowstone has a helicopter that's regularly used. Like I love extravagant, like displays of extravagant wealth when like the characters have it. I hate when it's like I'm a billionaire CEO. Here's my one room apartment. Hey, you ain't gonna be a billionaire by spending all your money now. That's fair, but like, show me the cars then. <laughs> you didn't get to be a billionaire by buying cars. A car. Stop giving me the... This is my Ford. You didn't get to be a billionaire by buying the expensive cars either. I know, I know. But, like, you're, it's a movie. Like, let's pretend like they do have good taste. Like, I, I do know Mark Zuckerberg does wear the same gray hoodie every single day. So, like, that that's a billionaire that does nothing with his money to some extent. But at the same time, I feel like if there was a movie about him, we'd at least see his to Hawaii at some point in there and that to me is like okay extravagant wealth because plane tickets are expensive especially to hawaii <laughs> yeah i also liked how the the bar scene and literal conference rooms look exactly the same as they did 99 years ago i don't know if maybe that's literally a point in in history where the uh the aesthetic started to change and i guess i, I mean the bar scene of course one could argue well clubs and whatnot but i mean they they also have they have regular bars with clubs. I, I actually know a complex that's literally laid out like that. It's got a club right above the standard karaoke bar. Um, so I, I was like, huh, that looks familiar. Um, well, but yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. After a certain point in history, we all figured out that certain layouts of buildings tend to work well. So let's stick with them. exactly. You know, wow. You know what? You're right. Corion. Right? Let's give a round of applause to humanity for actually sticking to some one concept let's, and not needing to change it. Uh, unlike, unlike stuff humanity. in the military. Let's blame monopolistic fast action carpentry programs that like Sears catalogs. And let's save that discussion for the building. rogue council. Like, All right. Anything? Anything else? Could buy it from one store. Anything else for uh, 1923 before we move on to Tulsa King? Well, well actually, uh, I'm sorry, not Tulsa King. We have an ad break. Well, I, I will say this: I'm really liking um, Harrison Ford's wife in this. The the older lady, she's just got this like very matriarch kind of attitude where she's wife. definitely yeah she's his definitely sister. caring definitely oh is it his sister that's the whole story at the start is and his sister well, wait, wrote wait. to him and he came a year later to help and he's been raising her kids for yeah her. but like, they're no 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 but they're the married chastity i don't think yeah, they are no, they're married no though. no she married his brother i don't know if they got married now but I know that he's like. Well, she, okay, because she's his sister she by up, law. Okay, because she brings up died. their marriage. Okay, so then yeah. Right. So he married his brother's sister or his brother's wife. Brother's wife. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I mean, um, 
which you is know, fine in that situation. Brother died. It's it's well, kind the, of the wife asked. Literally, that was the whole open letter at the start. Was yeah, she asked for his and help, and he came to take. Yeah, like she asked for him to do this, and they did it, and yeah. it worked. Like it was a hundred percent mature and consensual, but at the same time, like that was a weird bit about it. Is like they're not his kids, but she is his sister, former sister-in-law, now wife. Yeah. Now, I, I will say that, like, I love her attitude throughout it. She's got this very matron attitude, and she can be as tough as nails, but then you see her with her prospective daughter-in-law, I want to say, or, yeah, daughter-in-law, and she's kind and gentle and understanding, but still got that appropriate firmness for you know the matron of a clan but also and i really like that expressive she was yeah. like do you know how free we are when they're gone for a month right do you know how much like we get to do and control and run while they're busy beating their backs all day like we get to do whatever we want yeah like and yep. when you think about it it's true right i mean but like, they get, you know, the, these poor idiots are, are lying on the ground, you know, with, like, cows to keep them company. And, you know, they get the whole bed, the whole bedroom to themselves. They got enough food for as much as they want to do. Yeah, they got the castle most of the time. You know, it's, it's as lives the, the go, thing, it's not terrible. The thing to me that's, like, really awesome, though, is, like, we rarely get that in terms of like why women get married like in a lot of movies they spend a lot of time explaining why a man should finally settle down but like this was the perfect example of like if your person is doing something that takes them away from you like it's hard to decide if that's right for you but like if you don't care what you're doing with your life and you just want to follow them with theirs like then do that and find your life along the way and that's okay because like the freedom like make sure you're with somebody that allows you to be free to find your life and and that's what this like that's what she was giving her and not in a fantastical god will guide you on your journey through this marriage just just ask god for light instead it was like no like think about it you have a month off you have a month not cleaning up after his mud boots walking into the far- barn you have a month of him not complaining about what you make for dinner. And there was that whole point. She's like, I'll go make dinner. And she's like, why? We're looking for anybody. Yeah. You want a sandwich? And she's like, I can't do a sandwich. I need to make a soup. And I was like, that's my wife. That's exactly <laughs> how she is as a person. Yeah, <laughs> no, but I also, I also like, I also like though how much it, 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 I got the impression that this is a very functioning, healthy couple because they're a team. And that's that was really my takeaway. Well, it was like that's like why I keep talking to, about the open letter is like they took the time to show us how consensual and how honest all of this setup is, and that and they gave they let the woman do it, like they didn't have Harrison Ford telling us all of this because then you'd be like I'm pretty sure she's in a loveless marriage because he's probably hanging out with the boys too much. Yeah, but, like, see, you know, uh, I disagree because the one telling. Well, no, because like if if Harrison Ford told us the whole story, and we didn't get these examples of the women loving their lives, it'd be a lot harder to believe that she's having a good time. But when she's the one saying how great it is, it's like, oh, that's why people marry cattle ranchers. I would have never thought that that would have been a thing. 
you know, I would have never had that perspective without her expressing it. Alrighty then. Um, alright, anything else with, uh, with 1923 before we go to commercial? No, I mean, I'm looking forward to the next couple of episodes. I want to give this, like, at least three or four episodes before I give any sort of, some like, full-on judgment on it. Like, I really want to see where things are going to try to understand what I'm supposed to be looking at here. Right? If that makes any sense. It, it does, but, I mean, I'm, I'm already interested in the characters and the struggle myself, but I see what you're saying. I feel like that is exactly what you're supposed to do with a first episode at the very least your pers- like your very skeptical audience is gonna say I-, I need a little bit more and it's like well that's, yeah. that's why we haven't done a subscription service yeah you know like I- I'm giving it to him I'll say you know what you, you hooked me for at least three episodes so yeah. there you go yeah definitely which isn't that funny that's kind of what we said about uh, peripheral and then by yeah. episode two, we were like, nope, we're in. This is the greatest show ever! Oh my god! Yeah. No. <laughs> and Tulsa King, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was great. It was great. All right. Well, if you've been with this podcast long enough, you know that we are gainfully employed, so to speak, at least I am, by CNC Sutlery. Now, CNC Sutlery has all of your Civil War reenactment needs, uh, ranging from uniforms to tents to supplies to just pretty much, like I said, anything you, you could ever possibly need. Now, you might be asking yourself why uh, why we would be sponsored by that, why, why we would have, uh, have them on our channel. And, well, as it turns out, they are the number one provider, uh, or one of the number, one of the main providers, whoops, for... movie studios and if you scroll down here to the credits you can also find all the different regiments that meet up across the country for living history which is a very important aspect uh but if you continue to scroll down you see a lot of our uh movie credits we actually looks like some of our stuff was also used in national treasure on disney plus um as well as the movie babylon from paramount pictures and emancipation on apple tv um, and it looks like I heard the bells as well. Um, so yes, cccelery.com. Now, if you want to help support us directly, you can get yourself a handmade nightcap. Um, all the proceeds go to my wife getting more business. So we do appreciate uh, any and all support we can get here. And I'll put that there afterwards. All right, Tulsa King, episode six. Who wants to give the rundown for that? Actually, I just want to make a quick comment on my last thought because I just realized that's a way to show how much we uh, we come, go into shows without bias. Like, we know what we don't like, right? Like, Corian and I both said we don't like Westerns, and so we were nervous that, that uh, 1923 was going to be pretty, like, too cowboy and not enough, like... Yeah, slog. And... and, and even with Tulsa King and even with Peripheral and like everything that we're like, this studio has not been trustworthy. So we're gonna we're gonna try, and and, and knowing what we know about it, and that's to me I think that's the the thing that a lot of people aren't getting about bias, is like it's not about not having bias, it's about knowing where yours is, and giving it a chance anyways, and then judging yourself for judging it too harshly by its cover. Because that's yep. how you learn to fix your biases. 
But so, Tulsa King, Corian. Yeah. All right. So, you know, uh, Dwight is back in Tulsa after spending some time in New York and uh, dealing with, uh, you know, how should I put it? Delivering a smackdown on the package. Um, Crushing the package. Yeah. Crushing the Stomping package. Stomping the package. Yeah. Burning the package, no less. Um, you know. Um, it was like they were now- in the writer's room and they took a box and just did all kinds of things to it and were like, that's going in the show. I like to think of this as a return to sender moment. Yes, yes, yes. I, I was actually uh, thinking... You know, uh, I'm really kind of tired on writers spying on me and watching what happens to my Amazon packages before they get delivered to me. Um, but, you know, but there we go. Detective. The character will be right. my pain. He, he was the box in Ace Ventura Pet Detective at the beginning. Right. So he gets back and he finds out that the local biker gang that he's been kind of toying with is on the warpath based on him getting involved in the nitrous game additionally he finds out that the FBI has started getting involved in his business and you know we had some really great moments in this episode some really great moments everything from deciding that the best way to do this is to hatch it in their pointy heads Uh, to the, you know, our poor little ATF agent flipping out because suddenly now everybody is involved and she's trying desperately to deal with the fact that her boyfriend-ish, you know, is getting involved in some really shady shit. And she's trying to keep the FBI out of it. We have... um, our favorite horse from this series pilot, uh, you know, finally finding an appropriate home and, you know, the, the war advances, the first shots have been fired. And, uh, you know, I think we're now at the point where Dwight has officially decided that war has been declared. War were declared. Um, yeah, no, this was, there was, there was, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of this. I mean, I've been looking forward to the rest of this series since we started it. Let's be honest. It's been just pretty much hands down some of the best television, uh, since the peripheral. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, the, the whole thing, I really like the whole relationship with Dwight and, and, and the pot shop owner this episode. That was very much a, a bonding moment of, and, and some respect has been established there. And uh, now some forced renovations for the bar. So I guess we're probably going to get a little bit of Roadhouse next week. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the show's going places, I didn't think. But now, John, I think with what you brought up earlier about the writer being the same person from 1923 in Yellowstone... I really am now more convinced that Tulsa King is in the same universe because there's nothing that either that, that this show has indicated that it could somehow be different. And this could turn into, you know, something a bit more on the national scale crossing state lines and, and possibly who knows. Uh, 
I want that so bad, but I worry that the way this is being written is more like, no, these are just things that happened in Tulsa that I heard about. <laughs> so not necessarily like writing it in terms of, well, this was going on on the ranch, this was going on in Tulsa, and this was going on in New York. But I want it to be that. I really, really, really do. I want there to, but I want it to be just like casual crossovers. Like, tire gets like popped, and then the like cattle ranch, the Dutton farm comes driving by down the highway and fixes the tire for him. And have a good one, you too, buddy. That's honestly it, like it, what it, I was thinking. Like they bump into each other at a gas station in Nebraska or some shit, and then just leave it at that for a while. Yeah. Oh, uh, John, you were talking about a warhammer. That Thor. is a Warhammer. <laughs> that looks more like a Thorhammer. Thor hammer. Yeah, well, I mean, you know... Uh, God, we're nerds! This is uh, the, the hammer that my friends lovingly refer to as subtle persuasion. Uh, you know, uh, the joke being, of course, you can get more with a 25-pound limestone hammer and a kind word than you can with just a kind word. Which really seems to be Dwight's philosophy on how to deal with these bikers. <laughs> I think Dwight's philosophy is tried and true. Gangster steps on gangster, the bigger gangster wins every time. Mm. Like, everybody wants to be a gangster till they gotta do gangster things, and Dwight just got done doing 25 years for doing gangster things. It is, like, tattooed on his soul that he is a gangster. So for everybody else who hasn't done time, who hasn't suffered the consequences, like, they they still don't know if they can. And Dwight knows for a fact he can, did, and will again if he has to. Yep. Like, I, there's so much to Dwight's character that, like, I feel like we got out of this episode in terms of why he's not gonna change. Like, it, in a lot of shows we ask for character development, but for this one it's like, no, you got a gangster and you're gonna get one. But here is... A, a gangster trying to be as honorable as he can be like he's never going to get a job there's no way anybody's going to hire a 25 year old Stallone Stallone's character old. is what Boba Fett should have been yeah yeah exactly like it, picture perfect representation I feel like Boba Fett should have just been the Mandalorian but they weren't sure if they could risk it and so oh but I, I like the Mandalorian as a separate character I personally. love the Mandalorian as a separate character but also like Boba Fett just didn't never made sense as a uh, Ronin like he, no. he wasn't ever a samurai he was always a, a bounty hunter yeah. so like I feel I feel like, if anything, he should have just started joining the Mandalorian and they should have just been a team and called Boba Fett now. Yeah. Or the Mandalorians. Well, and, and you know, I, I think, uh, I can't remember the guy's name or how to pronounce it properly off the top of my head, but the, like the, the actor who plays Boba Fett thinks that, that he needs to be more gangster, I guess you could say. So, yeah, but I just, it clicked in my head. I'm like, I'm like, at the way John's describing it, I'm like, holy crap, this is what Boba Fett should have been. If you're going to try and do an honorable gangster, like... This yeah, is a pretty good it, job. I just don't think that like Disney had any faith in their writers because they're very executive, touchy, hands-on things. I don't think the executives thought any nuance 
was like gonna be okay because what if we make it look like it's okay to be in a gang and all of our you know child audience starts growing well, up with yeah that but idea, that's why we that's why Fett the bad but that's again. that's why we had well that's why we had that conversation though with stallone's character and his driver where he's like look if you get into this this is what you're gonna yeah. get and you could have had that same moment with boba fett and like you know one of the scooter gang kids like trying to get into his club and he's like dude Go back to your little Playmobil, all right? You know, unless if you're going to get into this, like, no, this is life or death, not, oh, look at me, I got a colorful Power Rangers bike. <laughs> well, and I think that, like, in the case of Dwight, like, we saw the honor that he's looking for in the moment with his daughter. Like, he, he we get a lot of stories and in, in film and, and just in life a lot that, like, people don't know how to handle someone close to them being sexually assaulted and Dwight was the first on screen character I've seen explain or get the chance to explain why he went as far as he went and why he's never going to feel remorseful about it and he said it in a way that I think a lot of people understand in that there's a connection to your kid you just don't get it and, it and it goes back to the 1923 thing like that's what the dad saw but it was with someone he knows who loves his daughter but he's still his daughter and so it's like and th that's what Dwight had but it was the worst version of that yeah and but I mean how about it we, though for this week like two sorry, good sorry, examples man. of 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 fatherhood you know Honest just really good yeah just virtuous in a lot of ways i mean well, honestly not just virtuous but vir like seeking virtue like he's not saying he's redeemed he's not saying he was right he's just saying look i know you want to take the l because i'm your dad and i did that for you but you have to understand i also did that for me for you because i could never live with letting that man live because it will always haunt my dreams forever and i am I went to jail for less. I've killed for substantially less. So if I suddenly let, like, nothing get in my way, then it, I can't live with that. And and his daughter wasn't so much like, I get it. I forgive you. I love you now. She was still having her feelings like, why did you do something for me that I needed to do myself? Because that's the only way I can still feel like an adult. And he... Well, th this is going to be a... A major game changer. This isn't to, because of you. This is because you're my daughter and it's in our blood. Like It, it is my blood. Well, on top of that, this is going to have major ramifications for how this whole thing goes forward uh, with the New York side of the, the mob here. Because, you know, they're sitting there going, well, now this is the second made man that you know, Dwight has decided needed to uh, needed to get some some meted out justice on. You know, how many times? Like, if he comes up to New York again, who's going to be the next one to get smacked? And that was to me like that was that's something I've always d thought of. Like, I, I don't have a huge problem with the idea of people being gangsters as long as they do have a line. And that mm -hmm. was like what the Don was. Uh, 
saying he had, but obviously he had never enforced it. And his son had never thought that it was necessary to enforce. And like the biggest thing that I feel like the Don understands but can't really fix because of his ego and pride and his son doesn't understand and won't try to understand because of his ego and pride is that like Dwight was quiet. Dwight never narked. Dwight could have put the Don in prison for life. Rico'd the entire mafia. And he kept his mouth shut and his daughter was mistreated by his gang. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll just ask our our resident. That's the part that they're not, like, getting clear and pushing forward. And I hate that they're not, like, I hate that they don't get it. But I love that this show is willing to show men be so ignorant. Well, all right, let's let's ask let's 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 quickly life. pull our our resident dads, which is not including me. Uh, John, you you don't have a daughter, but do you feel? And let's just make clear because we live in this era, so I'm just gonna throw this disclaimer: this broadcast is not a court of law, nor is it an admission to anything at all. Uh, it's just hypothetical. John, would you do any differently than Stallone's character? Substantially. But that's okay. (laughs) Okay, different how. I believe in the blood eagle. Uh, When it comes (laughs) to anybody who commits sexual abuse, especially rape, blood eagle is the only appropriate treatment for them. And I'm not going to go into detail what that is if you care to. Yeah, and I'm all going to Google that not on stream, so. Play Valhalla. I don't know. I Assassin's want... Creed Valhalla. You get to do a couple. I don't know. I kind of want you to Google it while I can watch your face. We can do that after the stream. We could, I could Google yeah, it right when yeah. we're done with broadcast. All right. Uh, yeah, we don't do blue waffles on this channel. Um, Corione, you actually do have a daughter. What is yes, your uh, what What is your feelings regarding Stallone? Um, I don't think I would have done it the way he did it. I think that were somebody to uh, do something akin like that to my daughter, he would find himself on the business end of a highly improbable accident that could in no way be traced back to me. That would be purely coincidental to the situation for legal purposes. I mean, you got friends too, just saying. Well, I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, like I said, I prefer the term uh, convenient accident. Um, you know, especially when, you know, it, it's quite clear that I was at the movies the whole time. Um, you know, just, just for, you know, certain alibi style purposes. But yeah, I, I don't think there is a parent that would be okay with that happening to their kid. And while, you know, we do live in a society of laws and we are supposed to respect those laws there are certain times when a father feels the need to mete out justice. And I think that's the best way to put it. Let's call it for what it is. There is no faith in local law enforcement to handle rape. Like those stats are way in. They have never, their job is not to investigate crimes. It's just to enforce the law. The law as they see it, when they see it, 
Right, yeah. and that's the problem, is if the law doesn't do function for the people these days, and that we need to do some several things about. Well, but And that's why there's that case of the, the gentleman in Texas who, who did this real thing in real life, and the, state, the law in Texas was like, yeah. No, the Sorry, prosecution the prosecution dropped the charges. The law didn't protect him. It was the prosecution when they heard the story realized well, that that's the law. And, and they like, probably the did it. The thing about it is because the law is all of these people because that's what it means when we say a government of the people by the people and for the people. It's all the people in government that swear the oath and then betray the oath. They start to protect and defend, and then they do no protecting, no defending, no defending after the fact, no defending before the fact, no education in school. Like that, you swore an oath. You, you put your honor on the line, and years of statistical data shows that you have failed. Own it. Fix and, yourself. Be better, but don't pretend like it's not true. And I'm also going to say this, right? Um. You know, the amount of time between Dwight finding out and Dwight going and beating this man to, in the most efficient and brutal ways he could possibly come up with at the time was very, very little, right? There is laws on the books that have a tendency to protect people when they are made aware of something like this and just First snap and because they can't deal with it. There's seven degrees of murder for a reason. Yeah. Right. The worst being premeditated. In the case of Dwight, is it really murder if he's a murderous gangster and also technically had a chance to fight back? Dwight didn't shoot him in the knees. Dwight didn't shoot him in the head. Dwight punched him. He was just weaker than Dwight. Well, and the thing is, the other thing is, too, like, like... so for me, like, for my, me, that's even closer to manslaughter than murder. So for me, like I think I agree, it's a hundred percent justified because in this instance, I don't look at, I don't look at criminal situations just from you know, oh this guy hurt just me. The thing about rapists is that if they done it once and got away, they usually try to go again and again and again. And so it's not for me in that situation. I would be like, yeah, I'm ready to get some fatherly vengeance, but I'm also doing this for all the other fathers in the process. And and that's really what it comes down to for me. So it's not he's not just, you know, taking vengeance here. He's removing a legitimate threat to the community that needed to be removed after that first and he incident. was the only one that was ever going to do it because right. the Don didn't do it. The new Don that's coming up didn't would have never done it and didn't care to do it and then also they're protected by their dons from the police so the police wouldn't have even had the chance to get involved because the police aren't good at handling the mafia either because they're owned by the mafia usually now, I, I will point this out though the old dawn upon realizing like putting all the pieces together as to what happened basically backed Dwight and said yeah he was totally justified nope. in what he did nope nope that's the problem is he didn't he just didn't get didn't he so like multiple times he was asked we have to handle Dwight and he was like why and he was like he disrespected yeah. us like he could have in that instance said he didn't disrespect us he got rid of a cancer that you a leader are supposed to get rid of and you didn't and instead Dwight did it for you so you should be paying him as a gift of thanks and instead he was just like 
he, he kind of killed one of our guys, and that's not allowed. Like that, he he was very weak in his defensive Dwight. Well, and that's, I think that that's... lack of defense is what's gonna lead to the ultimate like tension of the young Don and trying to actually fight Dwight. You know what I you know what I can see happening. All in this be... like culmination of ATF, FBI, biker gangs, and now this Don. No, okay, guys, I've got it. I know how this series is gonna like this season is gonna end. Are you all ready? I figured it out. Alright. The New York mob is going to finally decide to do something about Dwight. Okay? The bikers are going to have enough of Dwight's antics and decide to do something about Dwight. And at the same time, Dwight will have played off the FBI and the ATF to be involved at just the right moment. So when the anarchy gasm descends upon Tulsa, Dwight and his crew are sitting back watching as all of Dwight's enemies simultaneously deal with each other. And he winds up sitting at the end on his throne as the king. That's that's a good prediction. I don't think I I, I don't think I have anything to really counter or, or go along with that to be perfectly honest. I have a feeling that like yeah, he is setting up the the, the Kansas City Wall Street of the Mafia and just moving the whole thing to Tulsa because once these two are gone, because I really think the way it's going to go is the son's going to kill the dad because mm-hmm. I, every single time the dad Don is in the, any scene, I'm just waiting for him to go <gasps> and just die because like you know that's why they put a, a dying Don in there so you're constantly waiting for the episode where this new yuck that has all ego and no intelligence <laughs> take over and, and we're waiting for it and like I feel like they they know that they're teasing us and I said they but like Tyler's yeah he did he co-wrote this one so that yeah the writers on this one uh, they like they they know what they're doing and also at the same time, I feel like they could keep it all alive. And this tension could be what sparks the growth in the Tulsa King. By the end of the season, he's finally got his, like, everybody's set their borders. But nobody's gone to war just yet. And the FBI is closing in on all of them. And that's where we're going to get, like, teased for season two. Okay. That's the way I'm reading it because they know what they're doing with that sick dad I, I feel like he's just every episode last like I thought he was gonna die when Dwight punched the one dude in the first episode <laughs> fair enough but no I, I there's so much with this show that's this like I can't figure out if the girlfriend ATF agent is actually dealing with a moral dilemma or a logistical dilemma about her pension. She's like, I'm two years away. I'm already in the ATF Siberia. This should have been a lot easier. And give me two years and I'll be on your team. But, like, help keep it cool for two years. That's kind of like the vibe I'm getting from her. She's not really... She's, she's you know, statistical data that's on their way out the door so they're going to lame duck period for a lot longer because pensions and stuff like that. And that's why the statistics show that law enforcement aren't doing their jobs because they keep people that don't do their jobs. 
Well, I actually think that the way her story is going to wind up ending is they're going to have enough to be able to put her and Dwight in the same room, but not enough to specifically identify what's going on there. So they're going to offer her her pension early just to get her out. And then she's going to wind up with Dwight full time. She she does not seem to want to be at work. She's drunk at a... Uh, meeting with an informant that's pretty clear sign of let's not make this day worth writing about well the A in ATF does stand for alcohol so I guess she's you know properly raised <laughs> yeah no. or, or you know as I, as I like to call them what they really are the American totalitarian force so. I just figured they were the American boredom patrol that's all the three-letter boys. They have nothing better to do except, you know, keep us living in perpetual fear and rooting for them the entire time. Yeah. All right. I well, speaking of destroying fear, we uh, we have sadly come to the end of the Lord of the Rings journey. Um, guys, I do just want to say this was actually a lot of fun. I'm really glad we did this one week at a time because it actually gave me, you know, I, I, I always thought that I would only ever watch these uh, – in sequence and marathon them all the time but really it was nice to just have those those week-long breaks in between to really just digest it and really just just re-experience lord of the rings but also kind of in a different way for the first time um and yeah like i said the reason two towers is my favorite is because it was like there was another one coming and then once this one came out it was like wow the three years is over amazing um so, uh, I'm sure we don't need to do a synopsis for this movie. Plus, no. I mean, the, we <laughs> covered the extended edition, which is over four hours long. Um, yeah, I could never do these in a theater again. I, I heard the new Avatar's three hours long, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch it when it, I, know I can pause in the middle and, you know, use a bathroom like a normal person. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of, uh, but I mean, it was scenes. good. I did enjoy it. Sorry, John, you kind of cut out. and it has been... Oh. Oh, I was just saying, I, I heard there was a lot of scenic scenes of nothingness. It's a solid, like, one-hour chunk of time to get up and pee. No, there, there's... Okay, look, there's a lot of pretty scenes. There is a deep plot. There is, you know, peace on anti-whaling stuff, but at the end of the day, what it really is about is a family dealing with their way of life changing. I and will say your synopsis on Sunday what is the only positive one from people that I consider like writers worth listening to. But I know your like your word is worth more than theirs to mine because I know where it comes from and where it's been. Oh, thank you. Um, so I am gonna watch it, but I think I am still with Parker on the, and, and I'm gonna give it the honor it's due because the way you put it with the whole uh, elements thing, I yep. love, like I said, I love lore, and so I understand that sometimes people are gonna take a lot longer to like show it off in some ways. My only concern with James Cameron is I think he likes to do it with the camera and with the effects more than he likes to do it with the words. 
and then it's like I need somebody like you to come in and show me that it's working. <laughs> yeah, no, it like honestly, look, I know. Okay, I can only give you my perspective, right? I cannot give you the perspective of say the drinker or Doomcock or any of the other guys. So I, I can only tell you what I'm seeing from it. And what I'm seeing from this is it's very, very similar to the... Okay. This isn't really spilling the tea, but here we go. Okay. Um, when you have young witches studying to get their... to move on to their degrees when they become part of the, the covenant actually earn the title of witch... There is a journey that they take through each of the five elements. Okay? So, for example, um, for water, um, I went scuba diving. And was literally in the beauty of water. Right? And got to hang out with the pretty fish. Got to see the treasures of the deep. All of that. And got to experience it and feel it in a very intuitive and visceral way. And then, you know, we move on to air, we move on to fire, we move on to earth, and we move on to the fifth element. All of that is what I'm seeing happening here. Okay? If you have that context for what's going on in the Avatar cycle, it's a worthwhile series to watch. If you don't have that, I can totally see why a lot of people were like, I don't get it, it's, James, it's a James Cameron vanity project kind of thing. So then my recommendation on top of that would be if you uh, if you do trust our recommendations um, and you haven't seen it yet, Avatar The Last Airbender is a must because when you were talking about it on your video, the M. that was... One. It's the only good one. No. <laughs> no, we don't talk about that. Boot him. Yeah, so the uh the yeah i mean i just started legend of korra and it's it's uh, it's a continuation all right i'm good um don't he's under, ever he's fucking under say that again the um, best joke i've ever timed in my entire life mostly just because i've heard a lot of people try to do something similar and i kept a straight face i've never seen that movie because I I'm not going to. I tried. It. I tried. I got 20 minutes in, and I was like, "This is awful," and 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 the arrogance that Shamalon had. Okay, this is going to turn into a rant. Nope. Nope. Yeah, stop. Let's I'll stop. Let's All right. But to finish my point about watching Greatest Last Airbender, ever. about watching the Last Airbender, the TV series, the only thing related to. Okay, am I peeking here or something? What's going on? Yeah, we're getting weird. We're getting some noise. All right. Um, yeah, the only thing, yes, watch the original cartoon. It's it's a great series. It's tight. It's solid. Everything is explained throughout. And yeah, it's it's totally worth it. And yes, it goes along with Corey. What Corey I'm saying about uh, that's what Cameron's doing with his series, going through all the elements. Um, I really thought after watching it very recently again I, I cannot believe that car, that show has no right to be as good as this now a little preface to understand it's about the uh, I would say it's a it's an all ages family friendly show it does kind of lean more a little bit more in the kids section so it's definitely good for for any of you families watching that have younger kids the, uh, this I would totally recommend wholesome television all around um you know, gets a gets a little. If what would you say, Corion? You're a dad. 
Do you give it dad you know safe what? rating? Oh, listen. When my when my kid was six, we sat down as a family and watched it because we felt it was that important for a kid to see good role models on TV. Right? If that isn't a, the kind of recommendation, I don't know what else he can offer. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I just started Korra for the first time, and I'm I'm enjoying it. That first season was very, very good, very well written. Yeah. All right, but getting on to Return of the King. I mean, we have our own cycle here, though, right? We have the end of the journey, right? And... Whoa, what's going on? I'll keep going. I think I found the source of okay. the noise. Maybe. Okay. So, yeah, we... Yeah, it's your, sig- your signal's degraded. Yeah, so, but no, we have, with Return of the King, we have the end of the journey, right? And trying to show that not only is this the end of this great journey, but it's the beginning of the next great journey. Because we feel like we are getting endings, but we are also seeing where possible beginnings will carry on from, right? We know that, you know people are transitioning into who they're meant to be, right? We see Sam live up to the to be the hero that we all wanted him to be. We see right um you know, we see Aragorn become the king he was meant to be, right? We see Gimli and Legolas become the friends that they always should have been, right? And at the end that you know that line of I never thought I'd be standing against the... uh, You're standing side by side with an elf at the end. And the elf says, well, how about a really good friend? And he's like, "Ah, yeah, I could do that. Right? And that's... That's kind of what we get, is we've watched them all grow into the people that we knew they were capable of being, the promise we had of them being in the first movie. And it's come true now, right? We've seen all of them grow, the hobbits most of all, right? each of the hobbits went on their own real deep journey of personal growth along the way of their journey. And now we're seeing that, right? These are awesome lessons and awesome ways to show how the journey changed them. And that because of that change, there's no going back, which is the core of the hero's journey is that at the end, they can't go back to where they came from because they've changed. The journey changed them. And it and it changed them in beautiful and sometimes hard ways, right? You know, we know that Frodo is never really going to be happy in Hobbiton again, right? We know that, you know, Sam is now just happy to, you know, he's done. He's had his adventure. He's had his great experience. And now he's just looking to settle down with that beautiful barmaid and have a mess of kids and live a good life, right? You know, we know that Gandalf isn't going to be allowed to stay in the realms of men any longer because his job is done, right? The problem that he was sent to go deal with is dealt with now, right? We have that kind of finish that we were hoping everyone would get to, and they do get there, right? Even in a lot of ways, we get Boromir's story redeemed through the actions of his brother right we we get to see his character 
you know, the, the, the dream that his character had of Aragorn returning and being the king fulfilled in a lot of ways, right? And we see Aragorn take up the mantle and realize even that this mantle is hard, right? It's a, you know, he turned his back on this because he was terrified of what it would turn him into, but he realized he had to do it. And that level of sacrifice of, you know, he's putting away, for lack of a better term, childish things and becoming the man that they needed him to be, the king, right? In fact, if I remember correctly, I think somebody, at, when they hand him um, the, the reforged uh, Narsil, he's, you know, they say, Enduriel. become the king. in Enduriel, yeah. Says, become the king you're meant to be, right? Like, it's time. And I feel like that really could sum up the entire last chapter of this, right? It's time for you all to become the people that you were meant to be. And we see how wonderful it is when they are. Right? Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a lot that... Um, there, there, yeah, there's a lot that, that watching this series again now that we have, like... We kind of have a lot of shows that touch the moral gray area. It's like, you know, where is that in this in this series? And I realize that it's not, you know, the orcs are definitely you know, an army that's for the sake of evil and, and that's thereof. And really that's supposed to represent a lot of Tolkien's nightmares and a lot of the hellscape that he went through in World War One. I. I mean, in, in, in the Great War, your enemy pretty much was a faceless, murdering psychopath coming to kill you. That's what that's what he fought against. So I noticed that the gray area is actually with the race of man because you have different factions of men that churn against the rest of the men. And that's supposed to be representative of, of those other people that do decide to side with the evil, unfortunately. Um, and, and there's a lot of and then but we also see redemption from men who betrayed their posts and, and before now using their ghostly powers for good to redeem their honor. And so all of the themes are still strong and still solid. And the movie holds up for so many more reasons than than just the great story. I mean, the the model shots, still fantastic. I I know some people like to knock the coming to Minas Tirith theme. It's uh, Minas Tirith scene. And I was watching it this time going, no, that's necessary to establish the immensity of the city. Like, imagine imagine a movie takes place in New York, and you're supposed to get New York to just feel big and massive. And you show a picture of your main character flying in on the airplane, and then they go right to their hotel room, and then they go to their meeting, and then they fly out. And you don't see any establishing shots of the city, nothing. That doesn't work. So as this, the establishing shots, while it is very glorious and, and just, wow, here it is. This is the uh, the sort of allegory of America right here. It's a grand, it's awesome, it's kick-ass, and it's huge. And I think that's really what those shots do a great job. And that's really, that's Jackson's brilliance that came into play with all of that. He does the story he does it justice. I know he changed some of the things, and and the last battle is more of... I I like that the last battle isn't that huge epic thing that that Tolkien wrote. I like that they did that with Pelennor Fields, because it just shows that 
No, we're not really here to win. We're just kind of here to buy some time. If if this we... is a holding action, exactly. Yeah. We could all die and get slaughtered. It's great. Um, Arende writes in. You see, he doesn't want to do it as he gets crowned. Wonderfully acted by Vigo. Yeah. Yeah. But he also knows that he has to, right? Yeah. And that that's part of the beauty of I think the story is that, you know, everybody puts duty first now. Right. I mean, you know, there's an argument to be said that your childhood ends when you put duty before, um, you know, you put duty before fun. Right. That's when it ends. And I think that is a excellent way to look at, at Vigo's character, given how long lived the uh, the the high men are. Right. Is this is kind of the end of childhood for him. <laughs> yeah no that 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 makes perfect sense absolutely um so yeah it, it's it's it, and, and of course the soundtrack is still strong and and just a lot of very very str- yeah just very good moments heroic moments from from most everybody a lot of redeeming moments and and i mean we also see that you know the corrupt angry depressed dad takes himself out of the picture um, it's, uh, Arende writes in Numenorians. Yeah. I mean, the, they use high men and Numenorians kind of interchangeably in the Silmarillion. So that's why I got stuck with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, my frustration with the, uh, the, the idea that the dad took himself out of the picture, that's. To me, it wasn't that the dad was taking himself out of the picture because his son was dying. It's like, like he hated his son Faramir because Faramir represented him, the weaker of the siblings, the the smaller of the siblings, and Faramir still kicked. But uh, oh yeah, one of the greatest characters. Yeah, no. Uh, if 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 Amazon best. if Amazon was smart, they would have given us uh, you know Lord of the Rings a Faramir story and Lord of the Rings an Aomer story. Like that, those are characters that I think we could probably explore a bit more of, both you know pre Lotor and and post. Yeah, and, and for them, like for the father, though, like the reason he was lighting himself on fire is because he was a coward the whole time he hated Faramir because he was afraid that Faramir was the same coward he was because Faramir kept messing up even though he was being overwhelmed and outrun by an enemy that was just insane and his brother was like like it's like if your brother's Hercules it's like yeah he's winning but like I'm also like holding out we only had like two percent death rate and that's pretty good in the normal like if you look at all the other generals the average is like 77 percent and i I, i'm doing bad compared to hercules oof but the dad was such a coward that he he believed that that his cowardice had infected his son and so he treated his son like he was a coward and his son grew up feeling like he was a coward but also like wasn't and knew he wasn't and and continued to prove he wasn't and and to me like the father didn't off himself the father attempted to sacrifice himself to honor his son who he actually did love he just mistreated his entire life 
and in his arrogance to honor his arrogance of supposed honor he lit himself on fire like an idiot and, and rather than knowing the number one rule of being lit on fire which is stop drop and roll he ran as fast as he could on the tallest tower like I, yeah I, but I also it's pretty metal as... visual though right i mean oh, it's fantastic it's what the guy deserved a coward's death for sure exactly but, like let's not pretend let's not pretend like he had any sense of morality or self like a lack of self-preservation he was like either i'm gonna die by the orcs or i'm gonna light myself on fire in an appeal to honor the gods right and instead he was the only one lit on fire because like that's what cowards do they make the worst possible choices and claim it's out of honor <laughs> well and, and I, mean... I love that that was what was shown to us I mean okay in defense of him as much as I possibly can look people make bad choices when they're mad scared or stressed and he's all three right <laughs> you gotta figure that he's been in a protracted war against you know the 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 orc horde now for probably well over a year and he's been watching his territory slowly crumble right at the very the least war at the beginning of the journey wasn't the journey like three or five years yeah well okay so then let's go with five years right five yeah. years constant war and against the enemies these... getting bigger yeah and like every time they every time a fight happens he loses like half his number and the orcs may have lost, you know, 90% of their team, but then they just replace those numbers the next day and come back even stronger, even stronger. He's losing a very serious war of attrition and there's nothing he can do about it. And anytime he tries to do anything to try to sort things out, he's, you know, he definitely feels like he's on his own, right? So I do get that he's making poor decisions because of grief. He's making poor decisions because of stress. He's making poor decisions because he just doesn't have the upbringing to properly make those decisions. Right. And, I'm not making excuses, but I'm also saying that there's more to it. Always made than that. those decisions because, and and it's fortunately it's like it's not headcanon. It's given to us throughout the story. Like he's always disrespected Faramir, and, and yeah. And, uh, like proselytized uh, Boromir and that's the sign of a bad leader right out the gate so if that's how you raise your kids imagine how you raise your armies how you raise your city how you raise your people and, and in his and this is why I say he was a coward the entire time he never took the throne he was of the line of the last hand of the king and he is still the hand and that's his excuse for being bad. And that to me is like the coward's excuse. Like, no, you're bad because you won't educate yourself because you let ego, pride, gluttony get in the way. And, and I feel like Jackson and Tolkien in the, in the writing, but also like Jackson really did a fantastic job of showing us who this person is. He, he's the epitome of like what we think of when we think of the elite especially the generational wealth elite like i know how to rule this city because i was born to rule this city oh no it's crumbling let me honor the gods and hopefully the gods will save us rather than me 
finding a leadership logistical plan to logically find a way through, out of, or around this issue. And instead, I'll light myself on fire. Yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I, I agree with you that he's just a terrible human being. But well, I'm saying that the, the, the movie took the time to show us that that terribleness... Yeah, it's legit. ...isn't always, like, like, like he wasn't mean to everybody. No. And he wasn't ennoble. Like, no. like he was still a nobleman, but he definitely was a coward. Yeah. And, and there's so much of that in this movie showing. Yeah, I, I, I guess to me, my my look at him is I don't, you know, I'm not upset with him. It's more I pity him. If that makes any sense, right? I pity him that he wasn't strong enough to live up to the obligations of his office. I pity him that he was not strong enough to live up to his obligations as a father, right? And more, I pity his kingdom for lacking the wisdom to realize that he was not the leader they needed right then and there. And the fact that, I mean, multiple times Gandalf basically had to pull an end run on him to get shit done and get everyone into the fight speaks to Gandalf going, okay, no, I've had enough of this guy. I am just going to get this work. I'm just going to get this job done. Which, you know, kudos to Gandalf for realizing, no, I've I, I've got to pull this together because this guy's clearly not going to. Right? I mean, how often have we seen that in real life where somebody goes, alright, you know what, this guy's just not getting it. It's time somebody does, so I'm going to pull an end run on him. Well, to me, that's like Gandalf recognizing his position. Like, as far as wizards go, they are always peers to the highest advisor of the king. Yep. Uh, and, and not necessarily, like, as a rule of thumb, but generally. That, that's especially, like, a wizard at Gandalf's level. He's got all the magic. He knows all the magic. He's not like, oh, I can do a sleight of hand a little bit. I'm now going to talk to the king whenever I want. Or I'm going to... I'm really good with the yo-yo. The I can... Go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Instead, like, like he's like, no, you're the hand of Gondor and that is a very honorable position and, and, and the title bears respect and for that I will tell you that you need to do something you're not going to do it well I'll get it done and if you claim credit I don't care but it's getting done yeah the job's getting done I'm that's my job my job is to make the peace happen as a wizard I just let you know so you could start the process if you wanted to as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like I, I, I 100% felt like it was like, um, you know, you've served in the military long enough. You ever notice how the most senior sergeant always gets stuck with, like, the the second lieutenant who just got out of West Point, like, and thinks they know everything? There's a reason why they always put the most experienced sergeant with that guy. And that's his oh, babysitter. Yeah. They used to do that. Nowadays, it's so much more corporate. And so sometimes you'll just get two of those guys. The least experienced sergeant. He's got all the money, like all the power, none of the wisdom. And then you'll get the fresh boot and together they'll collude. (laughs) And it is the equivalent of Grimma Wormtongue and uh, Zaramon. There you go. There's a perfect equivalence of like who this guy is like. Like basically, they were the, the two films paint that the the hand is usually the thief. Yep. And, 
Oh, you're right there. I'm not. I'm getting attacked by Siri. Oh. Okay. Um. Let me see if it, am I back? Yeah, you're back. You're back. You're good. Okay. So, the way that like Gandalf handled Grimma Worm Tongue versus Saruman handed Grimma Worm Tongue, it's that the parallels of like the right way to do it, which is, sir, you need to rally your armies and prepare for war. And you know, save these people that are running, you know, uh, or retreating. And Gr the Grim Warm Tongue version, and this one goes, yeah. And that's it. Like he doesn't do anything more. And so Gandalf's like, all right, gotta go to war. Whereas Saruman's like, oh, let me bribe this man. Let me sweeten him and convince him to do it. And then now we control the king. And now I control him and the king. And my power rises, and Gandalf's like, yeah, you are a wizard, bro. Like, yeah. you have all the power. Why are you pretending like you need societal authority? Like, why would you even want that? You want to be a manager with all that wizard power? Yeah, and, right? Like, that's like... what Gandalf's representing. Like, he's never the... He never takes charge, never takes lead, except for in this movie. Like, he's like, when he needs... All right, no other leaders not a single one of you knights none of you guys are going to stand up for me none of you guys are going to rally seriously not one yeah it feels like he All really right, had I'm to not. roll up his wizard sleeves and and get into it this time right well and he did what did he do that's why he brought a hobbit with him he was like i might need somebody to you know sneak a sneak that's it that's yeah it's, it's like, like it's like he was always prepared but also tried to push the other way whereas like Sauron was like I run into a wall, let me connive that wall into my, like, bend that wall to my power, bend that wall to my power, bend that wall to my power. Why is everybody bending over? Oh, because I never taught anybody to lead for themselves, and now I just have a bunch of drones. Like, that's the difference in leadership. Do you want drones that never do anything without your purview or say so? No. Or do you want people that make rational wins for the company and occasionally make mistakes? That sounds like a winning business model. We should try it. Um, yeah, no, it's basically Gandalf is basically yeah, this similar to to Leela in uh, Bender's Big Score. Does anyone mind if I take command? Ah, go for it. That's <laughs> basically what he does. He's just like just kicks his and knocks him out, and is like, "All right, prepare to battle." Nope, nope, go back to your post. We're we're doing this. So, but he's so much more like. He wants everybody else to. He's like, man, like I'm, I'm whole. Like as far as me and the universe go, I am there. I just went through a. I already tried dying once, time. so I, well, I'm good to do that again. Well, no, he, he explained it to you in the second one. He goes, I live for three hundred lifetimes between when you last saw me and now, and that's how he became Gandalf the White. That's right. So like. As far as at peace, Buddha Zen master Gandalf's like he's a little bit closer than than Corion and myself. I'm the hero, I yeah. am a hero. Like I know how to be a hero. I know what heroism is. I know what justice and honor are. Do any of you other people, you know, trying to be heroic, want a chance? I'll back you up if you do. You can hit him first, yeah. and I'll be like, General, way to be. And he'll be like, Sir, sir, it's lieutenant. He's like, Not anymore, General. Like Gandalf wants another person to stand up and take the leadership role because taking that role changes you as a person if you let it. 
And that's why Gandalf stays away from it. Well, the, it's not the, because he doesn't want to lead. It's because he doesn't need to learn to lead. The, there's also another piece to it, too. And that is, I mean, you got to remember that in Lord of the Rings, wizards are basically like angels sent down from on high, right? And he's got specific instructions. With only two not, eyes. Well, yeah. Sadly, right? I, incidentally, I just showed my my uh, wife what biblical angels look like, and she was like, I'm intrigued and horrified at the same time. And I'm like, yeah, pretty much. But, yeah. That, so that's, that's, that makes the reactions in the Bible more understandable now. It, you right? know, because, you know, I think they're just they're just superhuman. They look superhuman. And no, no, that's propaganda. Oh, OK. In, inside baseball and psychedelics. That's right? what a lot of things look like on DMT. Yep. I watched a lot of eyes open that aren't supposed to open. Yeah, like, this is a turning into another Rogue Council topic. Anyway, back to Lord of the but Rings. Yeah. yeah. So what what the the wizards are supposed to be is they're supposed to go down and like educate and guide and, and be there. All right, for... real quick, let's hit this Arende fan mail. Yeah. Arende writes in, Wizards should be teachers. Educate others to reach their level, not rulers. That's selfish and unfortunate, and ultimately pointless. Yeah, exactly. No. Arende, you've got it right. They're supposed to... They're not to... teachers. They're beacons. You're not supposed to spend tons of time following them because then they're a leader. Teachers are leaders. They are the example, the pillar of what it means to achieve oneness with the universe. Well, and you can and... learn from them, but you shouldn't follow them because they're busy listening to the universe, doing the universe's bidding. And unless you want to be a side act to that, a part of that side journey, like, don't ask a wizard to teach you. Long the journey. Yeah, yeah they're busy. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, well, wizards wizards should be busy doing wizard shit, right? It's like witches. Witches should be busy doing witch shit, and then if you happen to be like, oh, cool, I could learn something from here, you know, come along the way. I just happen to think that my witch shit is hanging out with you guys. I kind of like it there, so. And we uh, we like having you here. You know, I, 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 I never thought that I would host a pop culture show network with a witch. Hmm. How about a friend? That's why we keep coming back. Because that's what <laughs> matters more. Well, see, I bring that up because of the whole, like... Like, the wizards, especially Tolkien's wizards, they are Buddha. They are Jesus. They are the one that knows what comes next and what comes before. And they're busy trying to guide the realms of man, the realms of elves, the realms of dwarves, and walk amongst them and help be the beacons. And that is a, an honorable mission, but it's also completely sacrificial. Like, Gandalf has tons of friends across the world, but he's always crossing the world, so he's always across the world from his friends. And that's not a uh, a simple life and, and that's what Gandalf tries to like regularly show because there are like Frodo wants to follow Gandalf to the ends and back and Gandalf sends him to follow other men other people like him needing guidance needing teammates needing squads needing companionship because Gandalf doesn't need that because Gandalf is one with the universe and that's a lonely life but some of us need to live it 
And that's why I say that like he can't be the teacher, whereas Corion the witch can be the teacher because he can be a leader. He he hasn't been called to be one with the universe and walk on the universe paths according to the universe and sacrifice everything else. But some people are. Mm-hmm. And that's lonely, but also like if you meet those wizards, give them love, not avarice or, or, or abatement, like be nice and, and appreciate their suffering because they can help you but don't count on them because they arrive precisely when they need to and sometimes that's after you eat shit yep <laughs> so now I, you know I will also say this um, the Peter Jackson movies get a lot of flack for what what seems like the infinite ending right where it's like you feel like it should have ended three scenes ago but there's there's another ending but wait there's more <laughs> right and oh god that would be a great cut somebody needs to do a Billy Mays um, in between each of the endings just a Billy Mays sales pitch for watching the whole Lord of the Rings right but you know wait there's more like... <laughs> but you know I do feel like it was actually kind of justified in a lot of ways because this series had to tie up all the loose ends at the end of it because they're it's designed to be the last of this great mythology that Tolkien's put together. So he has to tie up all those individual loose ends and explain where why you're not going to get a sequel with the hobbits going on like one last ride kind of thing. Right? You know, we're not going to get fear and loathing in Hobbiton, right? We're not going to get um you which know, is too bad. Oh gods that would be fun with that them all stallone is a hobbit the hobbiton king right you know Uh, the shire king you know where were you when the halfling weed kicked in right (laughs) for me that's the (laughs) how hobbit too yeah right you know uh for me that's like the the most like painful thing about big bad series like when when a series starts out with a big bad at the beginning and and progressively the big bad like you know for a fact it's going to end with and and then they lived happily ever after or to some effect they lived nominal ever after like you if you go watch game of thrones after watching lord of the rings minus the dragons that's what happened you know for the land of men right and so that idea of like the big bad just cutting all potential future to your universe because like otherwise you end up with we got a prequel this with the rings of Sauron, and they don't make any sense and, and that that prequel is like you know how it ends but here's where it started but didn't because you also know where it started because there was another prequel that already had to do that and, and, and like to me it's like writers need to get rid of the big bad or don't make the big bad the most bad thing in the entirety of your universe instead make the big bad the big bad of season one well like, no okay so let's take a look at the the narrative structure here of the three movies real quick well, the first the, big bad my, we really run into I, sh- that, I should rephrase cool. that pitch real quick, though. The big bad 
in terms of writing the amount of words written on a page, Tolkien definitely, obviously, wrote an, an, an intact universe. In terms right. of a screen, though, well, hear, hear me it's out. It's three episodes of a ten-part series that would be phenomenal. Right, but but hear me out. The Fellowship of the Ring, the really nasty thing we run into, the thing that we're like we're viewing as the bad, is the Ring Wraiths, right? I mean, yes, we know Sauron's there, but he's more like an, uh, or Sauron's there, but he's more like a, an existential threat, right? Well, I mean, more more in terms of like once that bat is dead, there is no way you can tell me another one just showed up in season two or showed up in right. season ten, because then you run into the supernatural Ooh. dilemma. Am I cutting out super yeah. hard again? Yeah, I, I was cutting it too, so no. Yeah, but yeah. So my my, my both y'all's internet's like, crap. The first movie. Yeah, the the first one. I mean, really, the biggest bad we dealt with was Ring Wraiths. The second movie, we move up to you know, like uh, a more credible threat in Sauron. Right? We now have to settle his hash. The third movie, we're dealing with the top dog. Right? You know, th this isn't GI Joe where they're dealing with like incompetent cobra commander from day one who just kind of stays that way no no we're, we're going through the lieutenants moving up the food chain right right but and you that's... can only do that once in this universe right and that like right, that's but what, you have like, to plan for that even like retrying to do it if you keep... that's what i'm saying is like like that's why if, you, if you're an up-and-coming writer as advice for future writers and, and future screenplay writers especially like if you're gonna have a big bad, it's gotta be your series finale. It cannot be anywhere near your opener. Aside from maybe like, if one of the characters in the opening scene is the one that's gonna character develop into the big bad, cool, that's fine. But make sure you like, like that's, to me I feel like that's what the big bad trope Oz is. It is the fiend. It's the end of the story, end of all stories to come. They're never going to be as good, never going to be as high stakes, never going to be as emotionally convincing. So if you either just never have one, because there isn't one in real life, or you plan one for when you're like, like for me, it's in my 25-year plan. As far as my, like the writings I want to write out, there is a big bad but it's a twist. Like I, I'm working on how to make sure the twist follows a through line. But it's about, I, yeah, yeah. No spoilers. I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I think there to be spoilers on the ending. Right, and I mean, even take a look at some of the other movies and whatnot we've discussed. Right, um, you know, or the the TV shows we discussed. Avatar: The Last Airbender literally has a big bad. That is, you know, an existential threat until probably the last five episodes. Sorry, your audio is doing and, and the thing Avatar, again. No, you're good. Yeah, yeah, I'll mute after this one. Just really jump in. But Avatar did it the right way, where not only was the big bad real from the jump and real at the beginning, in the beginning, like there were a hundred years ago, whatever. There's constantly that like reiteration. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can set you up for this one. I got you. I got you. 
Long ago, the four nations lived in har together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all the elements, could stop him. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. And that's all I'm saying. Yes. Perfect. And, and that's... So, they also then give you the character that's supposed to fight him. And it is an insurmountable fight. It is impossible. Like, no matter how many elements he knows, there's no way he's running through an empire's worth of firebenders to knock on the, the firebender god's door and be like, King Sozin, stand down. Right? Right. At no episode, even all the way up to the very last battle, that is still not the pitch. That's it. And, and that's like, that's how you do a big bat. That's it. Look, we can go on and on of textbook examples of how to write a really good big bad. And the the key is to tease him along the way, or him or her along the way, but you don't deal with him until the very end. And then once you end, and you or then once you've dealt with him, always justify the distance. That's it. Always justify the distance. Like like I like the ones the movies where like the the big bad is actually like a thief and they're just way more cunning and they're faster than the, the main character so like you're like which one is the one that's actually the cause and then it shows up and you're like I didn't oh wait I go back through and rewatch the whole thing I see all the times he stole plotted manipulated and I just wasn't listening oh that's a good story that like that's why I think the big bad is a very fun storytelling trope but this is my example of why it hurts so bad because this was like yeah for me, especially as a coming of age child through this trilogy, as it released, I hit different mile markers in my life. And like, I hit puberty, I think right after or before this one. And so for me, it was like, now where am I going? And then 10 years later, Game of Thrones season one drops and I was nowhere near it again. Right? Like, like it really felt like taking a jump into the deep end and I'm still falling, waiting for the deep end. Because that's like, yeah. that's how much fantasy was given and then just cut right at the fall of like, I'm going to be super into fantasy film, films, movies, all like all of it, I'm going to be into fantasy. And then they just couldn't because there was an end. <laughs> but, you know, it's important for your stories to have an end and have a solid ending that somebody else can't like pick up and run with at the end of it because... You know, unless you intend to carry on your series, which is a different animal entirely, you need finality. You need conclusion. Otherwise, people are going to, you know, really get annoyed at your series for lack of, or yeah. really get annoyed at your and, book. And that's right? kind of, and that's what I felt this time around. I think it's like everybody kind of gets to pick their own ending after all of it. You, you know, for me, I think the most relatable ending is when they're sitting in the bar after everything. Um, like my, my first actual deployment on a ship when I went to a foreign country, my, my first experiences were Panama and Golfito, Costa Rica. Uh, Panama City is a dump. Um, it's basically the Oakland of Central America. Uh, but there's lots of gambling and, and other Las Vegas family themed, not really family themed stuff, um, as well. So... You know, it was an experience to to. I specific, I specifically remember taking a cab back to the ship after a night out, and and just looking at all the ways that some of those folks were living, 
and then also, and then going to Costa Rica, which was even more poor, um, and, and just, just getting the culture shock. And then I remember we got back, I got back into Alameda and I went back to my, my Coast Guard housing and I'm sitting on the back porch smoking a cigarette and I'm thinking, wow, I was, I was somewhere else in a totally different world while the rest of these people, everyone's just going on about their lives. And so that's the scene that now sticks out the most to me because it's like, you know, you just go on that kind of an adventure and then you come back home where nobody gives a shit. And it's like, huh, so that's different. And and every subsequent trip after that, I mean, sure, I kind of had the same feeling getting back into normal life, but I had already experienced it once. It was just that realization of, of really how fortunate I was to, to live in, in such a great country as the United States, but also recognizing like, the, the poor people that complain about being poor here, I mean, yes, we could all use it better, but at least you want to balance that out with taking stock of your situation and, and recognizing, look, it could also be worse. But that was just, there, that was the takeaway for that. Parts of yeah, we don't have time to get into this. <laughs> yeah, But no, I understand what you're saying, because for it was, <laughs> honestly, it felt a lot more along the lines of Lord of the Rings in terms of like going to... Uh, Mount Doom because I went and spent some time on the uh, DMZ in South Korea um, literally right at the foot of the Mount Doom of our known world North Korea and at least one of several well I would say it's the one that was your Mount Doom experience actually has a gate and a fence that's strictly enforced on at least one side Um, sorry I I shouldn't belittle your <laughs> no, experience. No, no, My bad. No, no, no. But I mean, in, in terms of our country, it is the only one that has a, a black gate. The, the DMZ, the 31st parallel. Yep. It, Got it. it. It's terrible. Yeah. Anyway, so like I get the idea of like uh, it, going on an adventure and nobody knowing like what the rest of the world is experiencing. But I also understand like going to the dark gates and realizing, oh, the weather's still normal. The yeah. air is still air. Like, and, and I can't shoot unless shot upon. I can't do anything yeah. about the tension. Yeah. And then just also then going back yeah. home yeah. and realizing All right. so, nobody knows that's All right. how it's like. Yeah. We'd like to thank everybody for watching tonight. And uh, if you do like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, get it out there. Just tell the world how much you love the Ryder Brothers. It really helps us out. Um, We also, yeah, we also appreciate, though, any little support you guys give, whether it's watching our videos now, later, in in any time. We love doing this. We love talking content. We love bringing you guys a show. Um, And, uh, yeah, anyone got any quick last-minute minute things to say before we we wrap it up? Happy holidays, everybody. Yes, we will be back next week on the 27th for our Christmas Cringe special. We'll be doing a Christmas story, a Christmas story Christmas, and Jingle All the Way. Uh, So we hope to see you guys there for that. We totally understand if you don't want anything to do with us on the holidays. Um, And then after that, we're actually going to go on break, so we will not have a stream on the 3rd. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.
This has been a presentation of The Ryder Brothers Tuesday Night Live Show.